darling, my love. It's Caitlin Vincent, and welcome to the Good Girlfriend Podcast. Get ready to unleash your inner confidence, demystified periods, and delve into unfiltered sex education. We're here to embrace the power of sexy empowerment, and I've got your back every step of the way. As humans, we're all beautifully flawed, but together we'll support one another and ignite that fire within. This space is all about being real, vulnerable, and unapologetically authentic. Now remember, this podcast is for entertainment purposes, but when it comes to seeking advice, I always encourage you to consult with professionals. You deserve to have all the resources you need to thrive in your own unique way. So, are you ready to embark on this journey of empowerment, education, and downright fun? Buckle up, because we're about to deep dive into a world where confidence reigns supreme and taboos are shattered. Let's do this. Hello, girlfriends. I'm so excited for you to join me on this really special podcast episode because we're going to dive into a really deep and juicy conversation when it comes to trauma. But the thing is, we're going to have someone that's going to help you through it. We're going to have someone so beautiful that's going to guide you and give you the best techniques that I've seriously never heard of before, but I think it saved me already. So I have got the beautiful Elle joining me today, and I'm so, so thankful that she is present with me. So thank you, Elle, for joining me on this podcast. Uh, Hello, everybody. I'm so thrilled to be here. Thank you for having me. Oh, my pleasure. So I do like a funny thing at the beginning where we do literally like a confession booth (laughs) just to get to know you a bit better as well. So if you were to have like a fantasy getaway, go anywhere Mm -hmm. in the world, where Mm -hmm. would you love to go? Oh, right now, this moment, I feel like I'm in like a a phase where I I could really just stop. So I think it's like cliche, but it would be like Bora Bora right now. Had a view of asked me three months ago, six years ago, it would have been somewhere that was like hectic and full on an adventure. Um, Mind you, I have traveled 27 countries already in my life, but it would be somewhere like Bora Bora where I just lay on a beach bed and not do anything. That feels really um, inviting to me right now. (laughs) I feel like I could do it. I feel like I've (laughs) I've spent so long in a dysregulated state that now I'm like, oh, actually doing nothing would be a great way of doing something. So... No, yeah. I, I am with you. I just visualised myself also in Bora Bora and I was like, damn, I think everyone listening was like, yeah, I need to stop. I need to like slow down. So I'm I'm with you on that. Yeah. yeah. And actually stop, right? Because we're so good at being busy that then we, we do, we take time off and we just fill it with space. I just, I want to be on an island somewhere where, yeah, it's just all catered to. No, I love that. Mm-hmm. Going on the cheeky side, what's a bit of a guilty pleasure that you have that, mm-hmm. you know, makes you a little bit of a smile on your face when you when you have it? Mm-hmm. Right now it would be I've been making um, coconut stuffed dates oh. coated in dairy-free chocolate and it's just so good. Like the whole process though, not just eating it but like making it, freezing them, waiting for them to cool. Yeah, they're like natural bounty bites. Something so simple but so good. Oh, I love it. I think I need the recipe because my mouth is like a satellite from it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I love so that. Good. So good. 
Um, in the confession booth, obviously people like to go deep. So if you were to ever encounter with your teenage girl version of yourself again, what is a piece of advice that you would love to tell her? Because I know that this is something that is very important for us to also reflect on, but also for women as well. Yeah. I would simply just tell her that she is enough. That, you know, the people around her that she's seeking validation from aren't going to matter in, you know, a few years, in 10 years and in 15 years. And yeah, that like, that she's really awesome. Yeah. She doesn't have to try. She's like, she's the full package. She's got a lot, a lot to learn and a lot of hard days ahead, but she's, she's going to get through. Yeah. I'd probably also tell her to like call her family more and <laughs> be kind. maybe be a little bit kinder to her family and family members, but yeah, but mostly to herself. Mm, yeah. Yep. Yeah. yeah. I'd instill a lot more self-compassion and, and compassion for others, a little less empathy. <laughs> <laughs> We've got to take that one up there. No, I completely, completely agree. And yeah, I think wholesomely we definitely want to tune into what innately we need to remind ourselves as well sometimes. So I, I do love that. But the yeah. last one in the confession booth is I love realigning people and just making sure that we have gratitude in life. So what is something that you're really grateful for at the moment? Right now, I've just had a, a good girlfriend come and visit me and she was was staying in, in my home and she really just loved my dog. Like to an extent, like everyone loves my dog. He's a chihuahua. How can you not? And he's such a beautiful boy. But there was just this beautiful connection that I witnessed between the two of them. And I'm really grateful because I felt like she really needed that. And and so did he in a way, because you do, he gets like mundane, you know, mom, yeah, it's exciting. It's like a teenager. Um, but yeah, just, I'm really grateful that I was able to witness like two people that I care about just like form this really beautiful bond and connection. Yeah. I practice gratitude every day. Um, it's such a big part of my life. So like sometimes the, the gratitudes that I have are so simple. Um, because that's where life is, even in, in a lot of these confession mm-hmm. questions. They've been really simple <laughs> questions because they get to be. I think we try to think that it needs to be grand and, and you know, big and, yeah, like my dog feeling loved by somebody else other than me. Oh, so good. <laughs> we love dogs. I'm all for dog love. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. All the dog mums out there got to stick together. <laughs> Sorry, cat people. <laughs> oh, and the cat. <laughs> You know what? I have a chihuahua. My dog is basically a cat. That's what we we say. We're like, he's a cat dog. He's 100% a cat dog. He lays in the sun like a cat and he kind of looks like a cat, to be honest. If anyone's on Instagram, he's like my, outside of my educational post, it's mainly Jaira. So yeah, you, <laughs> you, you'll get to know him if you come and, and give us a follow. Oh, don't worry. I, I know that <laughs> by the end of this, you'll, you'll be having the flood because this lady is just brilliant. And I obviously, you know, I think a lot of people get caught up with the triggering word of trauma Mm -hmm. and they obviously associate it with what all the negative that's being quantitated out there. But Mm -hmm. I think what's really beautiful is 
you just have a, a beautiful way of opening up about how it is innately a part of us, but there are ways that we can shift and heal and create the balance with this because Mm -hmm. some people may not be aware at all and some people may be aware but then they've had like a bit of an interesting procedure they think that it's only going to a therapist or only going to someone that will kind of you know take you to a certain degree or you've got courses that only take you to a certain level and then you just feel like you're not good enough because you're just constantly having to sort of adhere to this So I would love for you just sort of unpick what the trauma sort of component is from your lens because I think you have a real beautiful way of unpacking, especially for those people that actually may not even have any idea about this as well. Yeah, and, you know, trauma is a a trigger word and it's also a very commonly um, used term as well for for people. And there is this misconception that trauma is for the first responders, right, for those that are, you know, at the front line um, and and witnessing things or have been through, you know, those big things that get put on the television. But our mind, we have a part of our mind called the prefrontal cortex. So I work specifically in in neuro-self-care, in um, mental health through neuroplasticity. And so for myself, I've got a a whole stack of modalities that I work with, but the most commonly one that I'm known for is havening techniques. If you haven't heard of it, guys, you're not alone. Nobody has, which is why um, I flag the I swag the flag. What's the saying? <laughs> she's, got a, she's got the victory of the yeah, I, <laughs> I just I get loud and proud um, with it for sure. Uh, so I'm the leading practitioner here in Australia and globally recognised as an ambassador for this uh, modality. And so we understand that through the, the through the neuroscience that backs up the havening techniques is that we can go through something that's so simple, so small, so, um, you know, like for for me, going to the supermarket is fine. I just go to the supermarket, I pull up, I go in, I get my groceries. For somebody else, that is the battleground for them. And so... It's a it's a really interesting thing to go. Okay, well, why does somebody find something and experience fine and somebody else not? Now we have a part of our mind again, the prefrontal cortex, which is which is the part of the mind that is always like assessing: is this safe? Is this not safe? Have I been here before? Yeah, and if I have been here before. What did I do in order to get through this? Which is why when we drive our car, we don't actually have to think about it, right? I was driving home the other night and I kid you not, I was like, okay, I'm going to get home, but then I'm going to go to the petrol station. And in order to go to the petrol station, I've got to turn right. I drove left and I drove an extra two kilometers home before realizing, oh my goodness, I've got to turn around now and go back to the the petrol station. I was so on autopilot because I've driven home hundreds, thousands, tens of thousands of times, yeah? So we have this, our, our mind is the same. When we're in a same or similar position, we're going to do the same or similar thing, which is why habits are so hard to break as well. But for us, when we experience something, maybe it's a comment that somebody said to you once upon a time. Maybe it's a belief that then that comment um, made you believe about yourself or about life. 
So the, the the first seven years, it's very commonly known that they're, you know, our transformative years. But right up until about the age of 14, we're really getting this grasp of, of what society is and, and our purpose of who we are in society. So for our, our mind, our, our brain is just like plastic and it's constantly changing where we used to think, no, by by seven years, that's it. That's that's who you are. That's how it is. But we know through neuroplasticity that it, that it can really rapidly change and be very easy. Yeah. And I love that you just gave this beautiful analogy of like we are on autopilot for a lot of the time that we just don't realise that we go a certain way and we funnel in the same habits and same practices Mm. and it's until sometimes for people it's until we have this big shake up that we go whoa something's different something's happened I don't understand and that Mm. I I don't understand part is then their sort of awareness around how much they know about those triggering moments and I think that that's something that is why people get so scared of it as well just because they're like oh, I didn't like that unknown. I didn't like the sort of confusion Mm. around that. And then, but now when you actually create what you do so beautifully, and we'll talk more about the Havening technique as well, but I think what's interesting is that we've actually got to show compassion because it's it's coming out for a reason and for a lens. And as soon as we do that, then we have a better growth in understanding it then shying away from it and being like, I don't want to face that again because <laughs> there's something that may happen a little bit worse <laughs> if you don't yeah. show compassion. <laughs> yeah, right. And so we we do the mind's job is to protect us, yeah. to keep us safe. So when the mind is assessing again, like through the prefrontal cortex, is to okay, what does this mean? What is the meaning that I can give this? Am I am I safe? Right. If, if it senses any threat at all, it, the amygdala picks up that threat response. And I like to think of the amygdala almost like a dandelion for those in Australia. It's like the weed, right? Hundreds of little things that, that stick out. And what essentially the amygdala does in the haven and community, we call it Amy. Amy the amygdala. Love it. Sorry to any Amy's out there. We do love you. Um, but Amy, the amygdala, it's this, a lot of people perceive it as the part of us that doesn't like ourselves, you know, that when we're in environments that we should be having fun, but we're not, or where we we should be sitting in the cinema enjoying the movie, but our palms are sweaty and we, we just want to get up and, and run out of the cinema or when we're, you know, so many different examples, but maybe you knew somebody that drove a certain car. So now every time you see that car, you get a, a that triggering response to it. That's your amygdala sending off amper receptors to say alert, worry, stress, which is also known as the fight, flight, freeze, or fawn response. Yeah. For for everyone listening, all you girlfriends, right? You you fight, you get angry, you get agitated, you get frustrated. Yeah. You flee, you want to run away. You just, you just don't want to be there anymore. You're having a tough conversation and you just completely switch off. Yeah. Maybe you go into a freeze response where you just kind of become frozen and you disassociate in that moment. Or the fawn response, which really isn't spoken about very much, which is the people pleaser, which is the, okay, yes, no worry, I'll do that for you. Or, or here, have this dress of mine that I've loved for seven years, but you've just told me that you want it and I don't know how to say no to you. So here, here you go. 
these simple things that we do. So therefore, when we're in same or similar positions, we're going to act in the same or similar way. And those little examples that I've just given there, they're all traumatic experiences. And they're traumatic based on the way that we're feeling at the time. Now, I'm a big advocate for resilience because we're if we're in a state of resilience, we're more likely to just not worry about those things. We're less likely for those amperoceptors on the amygdala to stand up and say, alert, worry, give her, give your friend your dress. We're in a resilient place. We go, I love this dress. Yeah, I can see why you love that dress. It's great, isn't it? Yeah, because that alarm system isn't being alerted. And so I really like to use simple examples, but you can also use incredibly complex ones as well. I've worked with people that you name it, but oftentimes people will come in for a session. They don't tell me what it is that they've been through until the very end of the session where they turn around, they say, Elle, you know, this is what happened to me. I was, you know, molested from the age of three. I tried to take my life at 17 or I I witnessed somebody else take their own life or I was in a car accident or whatever, the, the big, big stuff and the littlest things of And I got up to speak in front of my classroom and all of the children laughed at me. And since that day at six years old, I've never been able to get up in front of a group. I would go, I would be sick on those days. I I wouldn't go to my classrooms. I I failed in English because I couldn't give a presentation. All I ever wanted to do was be a lawyer, but you know, the the fear of getting up in front of in front of people, I just became, it just, I, I just couldn't, the fear would just take over. That's our amygdala sending off those amperoceptors. And through havening, we can permanently remove those amperoceptors. So we have the memory, but it's no longer the lens in which we're looking through. It's just a, oh, that thing, that, that happened. Okay. I can move on now. Um, but until you experience it, it's very difficult to explain it. And even after, yeah, I've now been certified for seven years in this modality, and it's still very hard to explain it because this modality for me saved my life. Yeah, wow. And I love that you kind of went down the simple aspect of it as well. Like I don't, I don't think that we always have to keep the bigger conversations going because I think that so many people need to realise that all those little small ones as well, they do are counterfacting and they are adding and contributing to your reaction and then you'll find that it can even affect your relationships with people as well because you're triggered in those certain ways and you don't know how to explain it. But that's why I do love how you let that sort of flow then because some people need to realise that there are little things and it's not that anything's wrong with you. It's just the protective nature that you've had on your body that was trying to save you. And some of those things that you said, I can, I think that there was a couple of things I'm like, oh yeah, I felt that. And there was things I'm like, nah, that wouldn't have triggered me because each individual has a different protective layer. And I think that's why it's so important that we can never say that this is what the trauma or the trigger is because every single individual has a different one and the mind is so brilliant it it wants to protect you I remember once working with a lady who came in she she was all snuffly and and she said oh I'm really sorry I've got an allergy to my cat and I was thinking well why have you got a cat if you've got an allergy you know like to me like I was like "Mm, okay and she said well I never had allergies and I we grew up with cats I never had an allergy but then I I I have a cat now and I'm I'm really allergic I'm taking antihistamines every day 
And I said, well, when did you become allergic? She said, well, when I got this cat. And, and so I'm sitting there and she'd come to see me for other reasons. But I'm thinking this poor woman is just like in absolute agony here. Yeah. And it just dawned on me. I'm incredibly intuitive and, and it comes in in the sessions. And so at the end of what we were working on, you know, she's light, she's feeling fabulous, but she's sitting there with tissues. And and she said, and I, and I just said to her, I said, when you grew up with cats, did anything happen? And she said, oh, yes, I um, I saw my my family cat be hit by a car, right? And I went, okay, easy. Let's, let's haven that. We havened it, a 15-minute simple session on, on that. At the end of it, completely clear sinuses. Wow. Now, what had happened was as a child she witnessed a very much a loved one, a, a, an animal, a part of the family, be, be killed, right, lose its life, that in that moment her mind decided I never want to experience this again. I never want to witness this again. I never want to go through this again. So if you had the ability to protect yourself, what would you do if you loved cats? Because you can decide I'm not going to go and get one again, but then you might risk, you know, if you go and get another cat, you might then risk that happening again. So her body created an an allergy, so therefore she wouldn't go and ever experience that again because if I'm allergic, well, I can't live with a cat. So instantly we were able to change that stress response. So therefore, you know, I, I that was six years ago. She was one of my case studies. So, you know, it was a very long time ago and I still know this woman and every time I see her, you know, she's she's showing me photos of the cat and, yeah, it's, it's wonderful. And that's just such a simple way in how our body's ability to create a defense mechanism so we never have to go through pain whether it's physical emotional you know spiritual psychological pain our body's job is to protect itself and that's a very simple one I've had people that haven't been able to drive vehicles for 10 years after a car accident I wasn't able to swim in the ocean for four years after a near drowning experience so you know for it it's there's there's so many simple ways that our mind is just trying to protect us whether that is creating a phobia an allergy a um you know just any fear-based um beliefs right anxiety is worries about what's going to happen in the future depression is worrying about and still living in the past so if and we're, we're trying to just sit somewhere in the middle you just unpacked a lot of juiciness and I was like, damn it. But I also want to... down. No, I freaking love it. <laughs> I love and really appreciate that you just vulnerably shared about how you've had your experience when you went through obviously the drowning and obviously the havening technique, I'm assuming you, was something that actually helped you through that and being able to to process through that. Just before we do, like I, I, I cannot wait to unpack this. I do want to hear your perception because you just had this real beautiful explanation about anxiety and depression mm-hmm. i i feel like i've gotten so much more passionate by doing all this work and, and understanding and even hearing more about your work as well whenever people turn to medication mm-hmm. i kind of get a little bit concerned because i don't know if they've tried a bit of the core root part first before tapping into that i just mm-hmm. would love to hear your perception on that because I, there's a whole mixed bag of, you know, situations and scenarios and I completely understand and respect it, but I would love to hear your expertise in this field as well. 
So everybody is just doing their best with what they know and their, yeah. what access they have. Yeah. So for myself, I was placed on antidepressants when I was 15. Yeah. My parents weren't really sure. And, um, and they weren't sure what to do. You know, they just wanted to help me. They they didn't want to see me in, in pain. I remember sitting in that doctor's office and him him drawing two different brains on, on a piece of paper. And he was saying, see, this brain has got all of these, these chemicals, but your brain is different and, and you don't have these chemicals. In that moment, instantly, I'm broken. There's something wrong with me. I'm different. It just was the validation that that 15-year-old needed to go, even a trained professional is telling me that I messed up like great. And so I did two rounds on uh, antidepressants and I just didn't like the way that it made me feel. Um, you know, naturally if I had have done more, you know, because they do take a certain amount of time to work, but I just felt like I suddenly couldn't feel anything. Mm. And it wasn't just, I couldn't feel the unpleasantries. I also couldn't feel the goodness of life yeah where there was joy and um I became an auntie very early in life as well so you know I'm, I'm sitting there playing with my niece and there's just no there's nothing there and so I, I knew that I didn't like that at the tender age of 15 so I actually went off the medication without telling anybody okay. and um and I, I came off the medication and you know it, it, it wasn't it wasn't easy but from that moment, I decided that I that I, I it wasn't for me. It wasn't the route for me. You know, was life a bit harder? Yeah, dramatically. Yes. Um, you know, for for myself, it kind of all all loops around because my mental health it was up and up and down. I left home and, and left my hometown at eighteen, basically as quickly as I could. And um, you know, I really struggled with addiction, with um, with many things, and I was going to doctors for all sorts of things, try and figure out what was wrong with me, um, never getting a diagnosis. At 19, my best friend, um, she lost her battle to mental health and, and passed away by suicide. And I think for me, you know, medication and being on this journey, I kind of realised that that was the path that now I can't take. Yeah. That was always like kind of when you have suicidal tendencies, it's always just like a last little resort where it just sits there but after losing her, I realized that I, I couldn't exit life that way. And so I really had to find something that would work. And so I knew meds at that point weren't for me. I knew it couldn't be suicide. So I I delved into the to the corporate world and I just put all my attention and, and distractions into work. Hit burnout. And so there were so many things that had happened between, you know, this is over the course of the last 12 15 years. And so for myself now, you know, when I think about medication for anybody, it is, it's wonders for a season. If that's all you've got access to, and that's the, the process, you know, I've, I've, I run women's retreats. I've had close to 300 women through through our retreats in the last um, four years. And we have people that come in and they're, they're very quite medicated, whether it's on, um, you know, something for anxiety or depression. It's very quite common. And um, I just witness them in their inability to access emotion and they sit there and they're like, LA, I just, I want to cry. I so badly want to feel, but I can't. And it's at that point where... I do find the frustration with the pharmaceutical industry and the way that, you know, medication is pushed because people, people want to feel, 
people are afraid to feel. And there's just this cocktail of, you know, we have women that come and they realize actually there are other ways. See, when you don't know that there's other ways outside of medication, you don't know any better. That's where you're doing your best. So for myself at 15, I didn't have access to anything better. Yeah. Yeah. And I knew that they needed to be better. At 23, I knew they needed to be better. And so I was just always seeking. I've tried nearly every single modality under the sun. If you ever told me that I, if I would bounce on one leg and, and, and pat my head in circles, I would have done it. Right. I literally would have done anything, um, legal or illegal, um, in order to support myself. Um, and it wasn't until Havening that I found that support. So medication does have its place. I know this has been a quite a long answer, but I love it. But I think it, it does have its place. And my wish and the reason why I'm so passionate about the work that I do is that I want people to know that there's other options outside of the pharmaceutical industry, yeah. I am so passionate about working with youth and and young adults because they're the next generation and so for them, you know, having simple tools that they can use to downregulate their nervous system, to switch off the thoughts, to expand their reality is just such a gift that, you know, I had a message last night from a client of mine who who knows a, a a friend, family friend. You know that how that happens, and she said, "Oh, do you work with teenagers?" I have a um a you know friend of a friend of a friend whose daughter is is really quite suicidal, and I just said, "Send that family my number, however I can help," because we can, you know the last thing that we want to do is be being medicating our our children to the point that they don't know how to feel because when we stop feeling we're not building those neural pathways so then the point that we want to come off medication to fall pregnant or to you know just start experiencing life in its purest form the world becomes so much scarier we're better off facing off with what's what we're scared of so therefore we can build the neural pathways to recognize that it's not actually that scary that we will survive and that we yeah just start to build and and grow in more resilience no I love loved how you spoke about that because I just I am going to keep preaching you and what you do to people because it's it's exactly how you said it people just don't know and they just go to an option that they think. And I just know that there's some people in my corner at the moment that are taking that route and or they're about to and I keep trying to do my best to, you know, push people to another avenue that actually does and will help because we'll unpack this beautiful thing of what you do but the reason why I'm so passionate about it is before this, Ellen and I caught up and she even did a bit of a practice on on me and I am just mind blown with how this, there's a little friendship issue that was lingering around and now every time that I think about it, it's not anywhere near where it was before. And I just think if that was a level that you're able to help and heal, holy moly, there is a whole nother bracket for people to really understand and unpack it. So for those people that have, and I'm probably going to guess about 99% of the people in this podcast, which I love because it's juicy and new, can you unpack what the havening technique is? Because I think it's 
something that I will passionately support you on and I think it's so important that people know about. Yeah. So, you know, the, and that was such a wonderful thing, right? We were having a conversation and and we got onto the topic of of a certain thing and, and you had mentioned, oh, yeah, I, I have a memory like that. And I actually asked you, you know, and you had said so confidently, oh, you know, I've, I've worked through it. I've worked through it. It's, it's fine. <laughs> it's fine. And, um, and I hear this a lot of the time when people go, when I went through it, it felt like it was a 10 out of 10. It was so bad. Yeah. And I said, well, where is it now? And a scale of zero to 10 and they say, oh, like a six. You know, if I, if I poke it, it's bad. If I scratch it, it bleeds. If I, you know, think about it, I'll cry. And I tell them, well, what if that could be a zero? And oftentimes they say, well, that would be wonderful. And I say, well, what if I, what if I tell you that in 15 minutes it, it can be, we can find that freedom where it can be. And, you know, sometimes it's a little bit more complex and it takes a bit longer than 15 minutes, but the average time is about 15 minutes to freedom is what kind of the tagline of havening. So it is so wonderful that we can, you know, we don't have to sit with these fives and sixes of, of things that they can be zero. So havening itself is a psychosensory therapy. It is using touch to change the way that we feel. Now, havening predominantly works in three main touches. So there is a stroking of the, the shoulders simply and then like over the face as if you're washing your face and then your hands as if you're washing your hands as well. Now, earlier I spoke about the amygdala, Amy, that Amy is like a dandelion that shoots up amper receptors. Now, when we get into that fight, flight, freeze, fawn response, you know, in the moment where it's happening, it's full on. Over time, they it, it kind of calms itself until it's reactivated. So in a conversation that you and I were having, you got reactivated from a past experience. So in that moment, when you were activated, I had you close down your eyes. Yeah. So when a client comes in and they share with me or they don't share with me and this, I work online as you know, you and I haven't met. Yeah. I work with people all over the world and I work with people in person. So when somebody comes in and they, they say, you know, oh, I, I really want to work on my fear of flying. I really want to work on the ability to public speak. I really want to work on my fertility journey because, you know, I've, I've, I've tried IVF three times. I've had three miscarriages and, you know, there's just, I'm just carrying so much fear. So it depends on, you know, the specifics of what they're wanting to work on. We're, we're trying to find where that root cause is and I'm this is where I'm so gifted in my intuition and, and the ability to, to, to work with clients. We, we find that very simply or even just the client thinking about it, sometimes they don't even share with me what it is they want to work on, so they just have to activate themselves. Those amper receptors get shot up, they're, they're permeated, they're, they're, they're up, they're risen. I then... If a client is in person or they self-haven using the simple touches, and then we use a few different fun distractions. So it's like 20 seconds of being triggered, 20 seconds of discomfort, 20 seconds of just pure, oh, I don't like this. <laughs> and then we start the beautiful havening touch, yeah, and we use some distractions. We might count backwards from 20. We might go shopping. We, you know, might just tell me the days of the week. It can be very simple things that are factual, yeah, that are factual. I know that the days of the week in Australian Standard English is Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. I know that. That's an unarguable thing. So we use distractions that are unarguable, yeah, 
And then what the del- what the havening touch is doing is it's producing a large amount of delta waves on our brainwave, yeah? Delta wave is our slowest brainwave that we have. And so when the brainwave slows, it produces a chemical called calcineuron. What calcineuron then does is it goes in and it permanently removes those AMPA receptors from the amygdala. So it's like the dandelion, right? When you blow the dandelion and the little things go everywhere, the same thing happens. They're permanently removed. So the stem is still there. The memory is still there, right? The woman that wants to conceive a child, her belief is is rebirth that, oh, I'm going to fall pregnant instead of looking through the lens of I've tried so many times, I'm so defeated, it's never going to happen. To the person that, that has the memory of getting up and at the age of six and the whole classroom laughing at them is then empowered to go and give a talk for the first time, right? And so whatever it may be, it's permanently removed the stress response to it, which is just such a wonderful thing. And that's how, you know, sometimes, yes, 15 minutes, I've had sessions that last four hours. You know, yeah. it's, it's dependent on what we're working on. It's dependent on if the person is is ready, willing and able. Yeah. Yeah. And I love that because even when we did a little demo, we there was a point where it went it became from a six to like a four and then we kind of went from like okay let's keep going because clearly still need a little bit more work and sometimes we throw a few more things in there you know is anything else related like you know the sadness the hurt the abandonment the whatever emotion is attached to it yeah so we kind of go from like a from it from a six to a four I'm like let's get it try and get it back up to a six we never can but yeah let's bring it back down yeah and that's the thing it's like it's so important that people understand that if you just have the willingness to give things a go that are different, I think you will be mind blown in what it actually can do for you because I feel like all those options that are out there are only giving a Band-Aid sort of fix and that's where it really just woke me up when you know, I know I said confident, I've worked in it, but um, there's there's still beautiful things that I've been able to do that are, you know, not the norm and the, you know, emotional sort of journey and pathway. And I even know this now, it's like a, wow, this is even more great to have as a, as a toolkit to, to help you because we can never remove the circumstances that are going to keep hitting us. We can never predict or know I have a smooth sailing life for our future. So we have to have a toolkit that is going to innately help us in what's to come (laughs) because we don't know. We don't know what's to come. I I live by the motto and this, you know, other people might want to take this on board as well, but some of the best days of my life haven't happened yet. Some of the best days of my life haven't happened yet, but some of the worst days of my life haven't happened yet. Yeah, I love that. Some of the worst, some of the hardest days of my life are still ahead. Yeah, like I've already mentioned how much I love my dog, right? Like there is going to come a day that my dog won't be here anymore. My parents are still alive, my step-parents, my siblings, right? There's going to be some hard days. So what can I do now in order to grow my resilience so when those things do happen, they don't affect me? Because back, right? 
back in my old life, back, you know, pre-circuit eight, pre-havening, right? BH before havening, I and the slightest thing would trigger me. The slightest change of plans, the slightest, you know, op- opinion that somebody would make, the the plans that somebody would would put in place, right? I would just instantly fly off the handle, right? People would walk around on eggshells because they weren't sure. Uh, I was so incredibly dysregulated. I wasn't even aware that I was, yeah? And this is the thing. People need to be ready, willing, and able. Ready? As in, they're like, yeah, I know that if I let this go, I'm going to be better for it. Yeah? I know that if I, I, I'm ready for change, I'm ready for growth, I'm ready for expansion, I'm ready to let this go, I'm ready to let down that burden. Yeah. They've got to be willing. Yeah. They've yeah. got to be willing to let go of that that burden. They've got to be willing to explore the unknown and what they don't know. They've got to be willing to be vulnerable with somebody else and go, hey, I actually have a problem with addiction. I have a problem with drinking, with gambling, with pornography. I have a problem with the way I feel I, I feel about myself. And I I, I just I've got to I've got to make a change. Yeah. I have people of all different ages reaching out on Instagram L I'm 35. I, I I live in Germany. I'm having panic attacks daily. Is havening something that that can help? Right. That person is showing that they're that they're ready to do something about it. They're willing to do something about it. And the third part is that they're able to do something about it. That person in Germany has the internet. Right. They're able to access support. Maybe it's a financial investment that they need to make. Maybe it's a time thing, right? Maybe it's that I'm able to set aside two hours to book in a havening session. I'm able to set aside whatever it might be for you, six days to go on a on a healing retreat, whatever it is for you, ready, willing, and able. Otherwise, you won't be committed to making changes. And if you've been dysregulated for such a long period of time, like I was, I didn't know any different. Right. I knew that there was like a candle flame inside of me that wanted more for myself yeah and it wasn't until obviously at 19 I made that decision that suicide couldn't happen I got stuck into the corporate world I was 23 I hit complete burnout and I I just if anybody's ever experienced burnout I've experienced it twice in my life and it was awful so in that moment I left my very well-paying job I left corporate and I decided to go and travel. Six days into that travel, I'm still completely burnt out. I drank basically the whole trip. I was drunk on the plane leaving Australia to Hawaii. And um, and when I when I got there, we went for a swim and I was swimming in the ocean. And my best friend at the time, she was able to get out before me. She was, A, in a much more resilient place than me. She had left her job very pleasantly. She had had a lot more savings than I did. She was in a much more uh, resilient place than I was. I got stuck in the waves. I'm tumbling in and up out of the waves, going down for about three to four minutes, coming up for a gasp of air and straight back under. And I was ready for my life to be over at that point. I was praying to God, just tell my mum I love her, tell my family, like, I, I'm sorry for being a bratty teenager. I'm sorry for the pain that I've caused. And um, God appeared and I and I didn't really know God then. And, and he just, he told me, your life has purpose, your life has meaning, it's not your time to go. 
And in that moment of receiving those words, my arm was pulled up out of the water and I was on the shore and I was breathing. I didn't need resuscitation. And so from there, when I experienced that trauma, life got a lot harder. Yeah. Life got a lot harder because I didn't have the resilience. My best friend continued swimming in the ocean as often as she could. I couldn't swim in the ocean for four years because of that. I then was in Vegas. I couldn't go in the swimming pool. You know, I'd kind of sit and like put my feet on the edge and pretend all was good. And I'd be like, oh, no, I just don't want to get wet. I don't (laughs) want my hair to get wet. Whatever the excuse was that I could come up with at that time. But then I had a bubble bath, right? Swimmers on, friends, bubble bath, and I had a panic attack. Yeah, just the, the sight of being immersed back in that water. Now, for myself, now knowing what I know, had if I have been traveling and, and been in those waters and that I've been in a much more resilient space, it wouldn't have affected me. Yeah. Right. The knock-on effect of that of that event continued for about six years. I had very complex PTSD. I had past memories. There was so much confusion until I sat in a chair and I tried everything, right, because I knew medication wasn't for me, suicide wasn't for me, I need to find a way, and I did. I I sat in chairs. I'd drive six hours to go and spend an hour with, you know, the best person of you know best kinesiologist. I don't want to really, I'm not bad-mouthing any modalities because it just for me, my ready, willing, and able was when I met Karen in a coffee shop. The okay. random woman in a coffee shop that had just been to the UK and studied in this thing called Havening. And the next day after meeting her in that cafe, I sat in a chair and and I, I just said, when I was, that's all I said. And tears, I'm talking snot, there was sweat. The place that I was <laughs> in is not who I was today. And I I just was bawling my eyes and, and she just started stroking my arms and told me to tell the ABC. And I'm thinking, this woman's nuts. This is crazy. <laughs> what is this? I left that session. I wasn't even living on the Gold Coast at the time. I went and sat at Burley Hill and I was like, well, what she did wasn't that hard. You know, she just really stroked my arms and told me to say the alphabet a few times and chant some things. And so I, I tried it on myself. And then I continued trying it on myself. And three weeks after that session of havening, I had moved back to my home, well, travelled back to my hometown. I left the narcissistic and very unhealthy relationship that I was in. I packed up all of my things. I sold what I needed to and I jumped in my car and I drove 16 hours to the Gold Coast and stayed on a friend's couch for two weeks, found an apartment, moved in. And then Another four weeks later, the Havening trainers were coming over from the UK and Karen Hedges had said, Elle, I think you'd be really good at it. I just laughed. I was like, no way. I need the practitioner. I cannot become the practitioner. There is no way. And so I, a friend of mine ended up saying she had kind of come in and, and mutually, um, you know, was there and it was her couch I was staying on. She said, Elle, I'm, I'm going to put forward the money for you to do this training and you can just, you know, slowly pay me back. And no. I was like, wow, it just, you know, God will just place this in, in my hands quite literally. And I was like, okay, all right, I'll, I'll do it. And so I did, I, I did the training and yeah, here I am. I'm the leading practitioner in Australia and, and globally recognized for it as an ambassador. And so it's just so wonderful that, you know, it was purposely 
purposely happened that way so now I could do the work that I'm doing without the pain see when I would try a lot of different modalities I'd be reassociated back into the trauma and it would manipulate the trauma to make me realize it was different but it never healed the trauma now we don't say in havening that we we heal or that we cure but we definitely permanently make change so oh, that's it for me definitely and I just I love how that was your story to to showcase the resilience mm. and also show that when you know intuitively that there's meant to be something more and there's meant to be something bigger for you, then you really just didn't give up. And you, even though you might think, hang on, you had that moment in the water. No, 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 you still didn't give up. And because some people can take that choice. So I commend you for the resilience that you have shown through Mm. your legacy and the amazing, amazing work that you do with this beautiful technique. And I love that you had it come to you first to experience and acknowledge. So it wasn't like this, oh, I just heard this great thing. I'll just jump on board. You actually went through the process and and procedure to go through it. And it created that permanent change, as you said, for yourself. I think I just naturally say heal because it's just one of the words that people people say when they go through this type of work. Um, yeah. But it's important. But, but, but that's where we we get to change the definition. It's like trauma when we think of trauma. When we when when I think of healing, I think of you know cutting my finger and you know the the process of that healing to then there's no cut on my finger. Yeah, yeah? where. There's a lot of people doing healing, but their wounds are so open and they stay open for so long. And I just, like, your wounds get to close. Yeah. Like, instead of just this constant re-cracking and and re-opening the wound, um, we get to heal. And, yeah, I do. I do a lot of work in the legacy of my best friend who passed, but also my brother. So I was born into a grieving family. So my parents had a baby just before I was born and he passed. And this is why as a rainbow baby, I never knew of that term until I was much older in life. But I always wondered, why do I help women in their fertility? You know, why do I, why all these women kind of come to me? I've worked with the likes of Chloe Fisher and Emily Hembro in their fertility journeys. And, you know, for them, they, they're, you know, huge raving fans of myself and Havening. And, and I think, oh, why? And I, you know, I know that it's because I'm a reflection of what's possible. But my mum also had a lot of grief in the womb, which is what made me incredibly sensitive and, you know, a deep thinker. And and there was a lot of trauma there. So even my birth being, you know, quite traumatic. And will I be okay? Is she going to experience what she experienced? My brother was was alive for one day. So, um, yeah, and so, you know, it's a, it's a really interesting thing when you look back on life and you're like, wow, like everything was always happening for me and just to bring me to this place. And I know that God is now using me in, in that path and just to go, ah, oh, okay, it's all, living is so simple. We just overcomplicate it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. So I just, I feel like you're already going to answer this question so beautifully. We already have, but I like to sort of end on if you had sort of the, it's kind of like saving a soul. If you had the ideal person listening right now, they may, may not know about what you've been talking about with the Havening techniques, or you just find that they're so stuck and caught up with the 
anxiety or the depression or all the mixed concoction of words. Like I said, I love that you said we can really just change and define these differently. But what advice would you give to them, whether it's a starting process for them or a tip to sort of just get them from what they what is around at the moment to what they could do to tap into what you are doing right now? Look, there's so many, so many things that I could say, but you know, if we've got, have we got four minutes? We could do a quick little, but okay. Yeah, that's fine. I was just thinking, I was like, oh gosh, there's so many things I could say, but like, give them the goods, (laughs) give them the goods. So what I would say is, is, you know, if, if you're listening to this, I invite you just to close your eyes. Given that you're in a comfortable position, obviously use common sense here. Don't be driving. And just allow yourself, just just be with it. What's there for you? Close your eyes, just think about it. And just just be with it. Why are we feeling the way that we're feeling? Maybe if it is anxiety, is it presenting inside of your body? Is it outside of your body? If it's depression, is there hurt or sadness that you can tap into? Without judgment, just be with it, just for 10 more seconds. And really just feel it. And let's walk away from it now. So if you can just follow along, you're going to place your hands on your shoulders and just stroke down to your elbows. Yeah. Just like one stroke per second if you think about it like that. Wonderful. So together we're going to just count to 10. So one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Wonderful. Now we're going to count backwards from 10. Keep stroking your arms. 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Wonderful. And now bring your hands up over your face if it feels comfortable or you can continue havening down your arms. So we're just going to wherever feels best for you guys. It's completely up to you. We're going to say the alphabet now. So starting with A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, K, L, M, N, O, P, Q, R, S, T, U, V, W, X, Y, and Z. Wonderful. Now tell me your phone number. Wonderful. And now together, let's count backwards from 10. 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Now you can place your hands in your lap for a moment and keeping your eyes closed, just check back in. Noticing, connecting with what you were focusing on moments before. seeing how it feels now, connecting with the emotion that's there, maybe the physical sensation, just for 10 more seconds. If it supports you, you can rate this feeling on a scale of 0 to 10. 0 is nothing at all and 10 is highly activated. 
And now start havening again, wherever feels best for you. Remembering you can haven your arms, your face, your hands. Wonderful. And now, inviting you to just count backwards from 20 with me. 20, 19, 18, 17, 16, 15, 14, 13, 12, 11, 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Wonderful. And what are the days of the week? And what are the months of the year? And count backwards from 10 with me. 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Wonderful. And just repeat after me. I am safe, peaceful and calm. I am safe, peaceful, and calm. I am safe, peaceful, and calm. All is well. All is well. All is well. Take a nice deep breath in and out. And inviting you to just check in. Reflecting back, if you had rated it on a scale of 0 to 10, check in on it again. And if you are higher than, say, a 3 out of 10 or a 2 out of 10, I would recommend going back and playing this recording from where it started with the havening and, um, yeah, going through that process again. But this is how beautiful and, and simple havening is, right? This is That was a very standard event havening process that I took you through. There are about eight different main protocols that we use within havening, so it can get quite complex and very quite easily. Um, you'd notice if, you know, somebody was to just say book in a one-on-one session with me, that would be the baseline of where we would start. But, you know, we end up dancing and, and going everywhere. But I'd love to know how you're feeling. No, I love it. I, it's funny because I know that last time, you got me to say that loud and I was like, wait, I've got to pause because I've got to make sure that they are doing it themselves. So I hope those people that were listening, you did it yourself out loud because I was holding back going, I was like sort of miming it and saying it. But no, obviously I feel calmer, but I think obviously if I said it and projected it out, I just didn't want everyone to know my lovely phone number. But um, <laughs> <laughs> no, but definitely I really recommend you going back and doing it and mm. making sure that you say it out loud because like, don't be wrong, even then just like miming it, it like shifted but I reckon if I just said it out loud and proud it would have been a completely different shift again but obviously I feel calmer which is amazing but it's just amazing I was like let people do the activity (laughs) yeah yeah, right and that's the wonderful thing I do have a YouTube video as well very similar to this that you can go and and check out as well which is um yeah no I love it I really 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 appreciate everything that you do and just oh really appreciate it. I just can't stop saying appreciate it because I just love knowing something new out there that is helping really permanently changing 
people and I just, I know that only good things are going to come your way. So for those people that want to check out, obviously you mentioned YouTube, but for those people that want to get in contact with you, if you just want to put in little plugs for how people can get in contact with you. Of course, my website is L. Louise McBride. That's E W L E L O U I S E M C B R I D E. And that's across all platforms. So YouTube, Instagram, TikTok, which, you know, I don't really do much on it, but there are some great videos there. There are some great videos. Uh, Instagram is mainly where you'll find me hanging out and doing a lot of educational posts around trauma education. And um, yeah, my website, again, Eloise McBride. So across the board, um, I'm there. Sessions can be booked in there. There's a stack of information. I've got freebies as well. So, you know, a self-havening guide um, that you can download for, for free too. Beautiful. And we'll chuck them all in the show notes so people can get straight into it and book in their sessions with you because, man, everyone needs to do it. <laughs> it's so beautiful. <laughs> I agree. I agree. I have a, a beautiful network of, of incredible people. And, um, yeah, it's it's very commonly known in the in the community that they say everyone just needs havening, hashtag ad havening. Um, <laughs> yeah, like whenever we're at parties and somebody says something about it, uh, someone's always like, oh, you need havening. Yeah, it's just so wonderful. Um, and it's just so easy and we learn in time how to do it for ourselves and yeah it's so freeing and yeah I'm just so so in love with it yeah no I love that I love how passionate you are about it as well so thanks my girlfriends I appreciate you and thank you for tuning in and know that no matter what we're always here to support and we've got your back so thanks my loves we'll chat to you soon bye for now thank you for joining me on this empowering journey your time is precious and I'm grateful you've chosen to spend it here with me Remember, you deserve to be heard, seen, valued and supported every step of the way. To ensure you never miss an episode filled with inspiration and growth, make sure to subscribe to our podcast and don't forget to check out our show notes. They're the ultimate resource hub for any links or resources mentioned during our conversation. Until our paths cross again, keep embracing your inner confidence, unleashing your power and living your best life. You are capable of incredible things, my love. Until next time, take care, stay empowered, and remember, you go, girlfriend. Woo!